chapter 16, verse 21. And um, the last time we were together before last week, before the hurricane, I began a, um, a new series out of John chapter 16 called Prayer That Connects. Prayer That, that Connects with God. And uh, we talked, just laid a basic idea out that God has intended prayer to bring us into connection with the Lord. And so I want to pick up on that and follow along this week. But let me read our text and um, say to you ahead of time that uh, these messages are, of course, they're available. They're free download from the internet. And the outlines are available if you're a note taker, which I think is excellent. Um, you can certainly get the outline also along with the message. John chapter 16, Jesus is talking uh, to his disciples. It's, it's what we call the Last Supper. In a few hours, he's going to be betrayed. He's sharing some last-minute thoughts, and he's telling his disciples, I'm about to be arrested and crucified. They're a little bit freaked out, and they're nervous, and they're understandably afraid, um, and they're struggling with him. And he's saying some very important things to them that will prepare them for after he's crucified and resurrected, and they have to do with the power of prayer. So let's listen in. Um, verse 21. When a woman is giving birth, she has sorrow because her hour has come. But when she has delivered the baby, she no longer remembers the anguish for joy that a human being has been born into the world. So also you have sorrow now, but I will see you again, and your hearts will rejoice, and no one will take from you your joy. And of course, he's not talking about his literal second coming, but when he rises from the dead, sends the Holy Spirit into our heart, he says, I will see you. So in, in the mind of God, our fellowship with the Lord and our life of prayer should be the equivalent of seeing him. So it's, it's, you just kind of get that in your head. That's what he's talking to them about. And he goes on and he says, now in that day, you will ask nothing of me. Truly, truly, I say to you, whatever you ask of the Father in my name, he will give it to you. Until now, you've asked nothing in my name. Now, here's the phrase that I want us to camp out on. Ask, and you will receive that your joy may be full. Now, I have said these things to you in a figure of speech, but the hour is coming when I will no longer speak to you in figures of speech, but will tell you plainly about the Father. And in that day, you will ask in my name. And I do not say to you that I will ask the Father on your behalf, for the Father himself loves you, because you have loved me and have believed that I came from God. Okay, so here's, um, here's what we want to take from, from that little discussion he's having with the disciples before they go out to the Garden of Gethsemane. It's clear by Jesus' own words that when he ascended into heaven, the Father's intention was for us to operate upon the earth until his return through something called the fullness of joy. The whole end result of having prayer life with the Lord is called the fullness of joy. Ask, you shall receive, that your joy may be full. Now, <clears throat> this joy cannot come from the world or the surroundings around us because 
It's the result of asking and receiving from the Father through our relationship with Him as His children. So this is obviously not a joy that, is, that the world can possibly furnish you. Um, this joy comes directly from that connection with the Lord. But many Christians are not making a solid connection with the Father when they pray. And this accounts for their lack of joy which is needed to overcome the world, to live in the world and to overcome the world. So there's many believers that, that are disappointed and frustrated in their prayer life. And the, the lack of the joy that comes from asking and receiving from the Father shows up in our lives in the form of stumbling, lack of overcoming, lack of direction. So in the next few weeks, I'm going to share some insights from God's Word about <clears throat> how to experience connection, because that's what prayer is truly all about, with our Heavenly Father, the kind of connection that He wants you to have in your prayer life. And what I'd like to do is begin by going to Jesus' model of prayer. The disciples came to him and said, teach us how to pray. And Jesus said, and I'll go ahead and quote out of Matthew chapter 6, beginning in verse 7, when you pray, do not heap up empty phrases like the Gentiles do, for they think that they will be heard for their many words. Do not be like them, for your Father knows what you need before you ask Him. Pray then like this. So he wasn't saying, pray this. He was saying, formulate your prayer around these points, around this basic frame, this structure. And so each phrase through this prayer that we call the Lord's Prayer, which is really the believer's prayer, through these various points, each of them represent an element that needs to be a part of our prayer connection with the Lord. Each of them bring a significant truth and reality to our lives. And so he begins, Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive those who are uh, indebted against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. And some older manuscripts add, for thine is the kingdom, the power, and the glory forever and ever. Amen. So what I want to do this morning is setting up for the weeks to come, I want to share with you five simple prayer facts. These are five simple facts about prayer that you need to know. And so fact number one, prayer is more than talking. Prayer is connecting. Prayer is more than talking. Prayer is connecting. We tend to think of prayer as, as the method of talking to God because mankind is separated from him as a result of the fall. And so we're left with this awkward kind of communication system called prayer. And that's how we're supposed to talk to God. And we think of prayer kind of like spiritual texting. And uh, since we're separated from God, this is how we have to talk to him. And so we send out the text message, pray out the prayer, Hope that it'll be understood. Um, hope that it'll get an answer. And we're always a little bit worried 
that our text doesn't really accurately represent, the phrasing doesn't, isn't perfectly representative of what's in our heart that we want to say, how awkward texting is. And um, I don't know if you're anything like me, sometimes I send out texts and I never hear anything back and drives me a little bit crazy. Um, or I text out something and um, because texting is two-dimensional. There's not the dimension of you know, personal connection there. So the person on the other end receiving that text can't really tell where my, my, uh, through my facial expressions or tone of voice what sort of emotion I'm texting in. And so we tend to see prayer and we tend to use prayer kind of like spiritual texting. We pray out the prayer. And we just think, well, God's God. He'll figure it out. Hopefully, he'll understand it. And it's very awkward. It can be very frustrating. But true prayer is more than talking to God. True prayer is communion. In fact, it is the communion of like natures that are shared in a familial relationship, father and child. It is the blending and communion of natures that are compatible with each other. That's why your pet and Jesus don't pray together. Although the Lord created your little um, shih tzu or whatever it is you've got at home, um, and they may be cute and you just love them to pieces, they don't have a prayer life because they don't have the compatibility. They're not like natures. They're animated but we, who were made in the image and likeness of God, our souls created as God breathed and created the human soul with his own spirit. And being saved through the life of Jesus Christ, we are like him and we have a shared nature. And so it's more than talking. It is the connecting of our natures, the sinking and lining up. It's more like that face-to-face Fellowship. So, John chapter 16, verse 26. Remember that Jesus said, In that day you will ask in my name. And I'm not saying that I'm going to go to the Father and ask on your behalf. See, we, we think that, well, I'm going to pray in Jesus' name, and then Jesus is going to run, and uh, he's going to file this request in. And I just hope that it's, it's understood. But listen to what Jesus said that blows all of that insecurity away and kind of dismantles the idea of prayer as just talking. He said, the Father himself loves you. He loves you because you have loved me and you believe that I came from God. So the Father loves you. He knows you. He is ready to commune with you. Your mind, your emotions, your whole being, everything about you is involved when you pray. So what I'm going to do is just drop these facts. I'm not going to preach or teach on them. I just want to drop them on you. And then in the subsequent weeks, we'll pick each of these up and break them down and look at what they really mean in depth. But fact number two, prayer focuses on God as Father. Everyone say Father. Father. Try Daddy. Daddy. I don't know if you've referred to your Dad is daddy or dad. My father to me was just dad. But it's that intimate term. The Bible refers to him as Abba, father, or dad. Through the Bible, 
God is described by his many attributes. He is the creator. He's the judge. He's the all-consuming fire. All these different attributes describe God. But to those who have always, through the Old and New Testament, sought God to worship him, to know him, the, he has always made himself known as Father. When, when the Lord responded to Abraham or responded to Moses or responds to us, he projects the true central theme of his being. He is a father, and that's how he wants to be known. So in prayer, prayer always involves, always involves communing with God as your father. In Deuteronomy 32 and verse 6, the verse I'm about to read to you, uh, Moses says this because the children of Israel were delivered from slavery and bondage. They were fed. They were taken care of. They were um, provided for. But they just kept backsliding and rebelling against God. Didn't want to have anything to do with them. Kept pushing back and uh, turning back to idolatry and to idols. And so Moses finally, in, in kind of a correcting, in a reproving manner, he says this to them, Is this how you repay the Lord, you foolish and unwise people? Is he not your father, your creator? He has made you and established you. Now, why was that statement significant? Oh, foolish people, is this how you repay God? Is he not your father? He argues with them saying, don't relate to him like the pagans relate to the fire god to the God of the earth, the God of the trees, the God of the wind, all these natural force, quote, deities that people serve because they're afraid of them, because they understand these deities have power over them. That's the mentality of the pagan world. He says, God is your father. Don't you understand that he created you and he is reaching out, relating with you as father? Look at what you're doing to yourself. By not relating back to him as your father, and allowing that to elevate you as his sons and daughters, you are being foolish. And so um, it's unlike other living things, um, like the animals that I mentioned before, we are uniquely the children of God, made in his image, made in his likeness. As I said, he created our soul through the Holy Spirit being breathed into Adam, and the Bible says Adam became a living soul. There's no other living thing that has that kind of animation where God created the souls of men with his own spirit. And that's why we are redeemable. That's why there could be a relationship with God, even though we've sinned, why he can redeem us, because there's a compatibility in our nature. And that brokenness called sin, Jesus fixed on Calvary's cross. We won't go through all of it. There's, we comment from this pulpit about it a lot. But in Psalm 103.13, the Lord says, As a father shows compassion to his children, so the Lord shows compassion to those who fear him. So prayer to God as Father in heaven reveals our own position in relationship. And just contrast that with people who pray to the nature god or to the fire gods or the wind gods. 
they have a fear and a kind of a weird reverence of them because they're afraid of the force that they are able to exact upon them. But there's no paternal connection. There's no family relationship. There's no true love there. So in prayer, prayer fact number two is that prayer is all about the Father. When we pray, we are praying and communing with the Father. Prayer fact number three. Prayer is sharing love. The sooner you get that and the more you build your prayer life around receiving and giving love back to the Father, receiving His love and giving love, the quicker you will enter into a powerful prayer life that's meaningful. The one that Jesus wants you to have that He spoke about in John 16 when He said, the Father loves you. Ask, and you'll receive. More Christians that have frustrated prayer lives are not connecting. They're speaking, they're talking, but they don't believe that they're connecting. The breach, the break in that prayer life is because they don't understand that prayer is love, talking to love. God's love that he put in us. I didn't love God. I didn't believe God existed. Before I was saved, I was an atheist. I didn't believe there was such a thing as God. So I went from being an atheist to meeting our Heavenly Father. Because when I prayed alone, my bedroom one night, that love, that agape, that love that never fails, came in. When I said, God, are you real? Love came in. He introduced himself. And that was it, boy. I tell you, I just... That, that won me. So, look. Perfect number three, prayer is sharing love. One of my favorite verses that illustrate this point is in 1 John chapter 4, verse 14 through 16. John writes, And we have seen and testify that the Father has sent his Son to be the Savior of the world. Whoever then confesses that Jesus is the Son of God, sent by the Father to be the Son of the world, God abides in him and he in God. So, therefore, we have come to know and believe the love that God has for us. God is love, and whoever abides in love abides in God, and God in him. So, love is the bonding agent of prayer. Knowing Jesus is knowing the love of the Father. When you don't know that love, you're going to have a hard time connecting with Jesus. We have known, John said, and we believe the love that God has for us. God is love. So, let me just throw out a simple thought to you. Jesus, or excuse me, us, being born again with Jesus' nature, when you receive Christ into your life, His own nature entered in and made you a new creation. So you're born again with the nature of Jesus. Now since prayer is the sharing, the communion of shared like natures, you, a new creation in Christ, your heavenly Father, in compatibility, have that connection. That's what prayer is. More than just talking, He is loving and connecting with you and you with Him. And therefore, love is the core power of prayer. For the Bible says, God is love. So if God is love, 
and his nature has made me a new creation, then Romans 5, 5 says, the love of God is shed abroad or poured out into my heart through the Holy Spirit. Now, I'm not going to go off on a tangent and testify, but I wasn't the most loving person uh, before I got saved. In fact, I would have to say there certainly was not a drop of agape, which is the God kind of love. My love was very, very much a, a, a humanistic, self-centered love. Um, but when that love came into my heart, it, and it came into yours, it changed my nature. At the core of your nature as a new creation in Christ is the love of God. And um, so at the core of prayer, those two natures commune together. It's love that is communing together. Can you say amen? amen? Let me say this to you. The farther away from love we get in our praying, the weaker our communion with the Father becomes. The more we drift away from the word concerning God's love, the faith and the truth of his love, the more difficult, uh, the more dangerously disconnected our prayers become. But the more that you understand and receive the Father's love for you, the more clearly his purposes will become in your heart and in your mind, and the freer you'll be about asking God for things and knowing his will. And that's going to bring us to our fourth fact that I want to share with you. So, prayer fact number four. Purpose is the context of prayer. If love is the power of prayer, purpose is the context. Why are we meeting? What's this meeting about? I have meetings all the time, and we set a context for the meeting, so when we get together, we know what it is we're going to be talking about. That's what context means. Have you ever been in a a meeting with a couple of people and someone comes into the meeting and one of the people just absolutely is completely off the agenda and they keep interjecting things that have nothing to do with what everyone's talking about. When that happens, you think, what world is this person from? What planet have they stepped off from? When, when um, I have meetings with pastors, I have meetings with you, I have gatherings uh, up at Lenny's, constantly gathering, eating, fellowshipping. But before we meet, we've ranged the context. This is what we're going to talk about. And we don't gather to eat eggs. We gather to discuss the context. And so when we gather together for prayer, we're not gathering just to talk. There is a purpose in our gathering together. Otherwise, the meeting doesn't make a bit of sense, does it? You're just sitting there eating in front of somebody, and they're eating in front of you. And prayer sometimes can feel like that. And so, the boundaries of your prayer life are set by how much you understand God's purposes. That's why people who don't know the Word never bother to learn the basics of God's Word, and not just learning Scripture. I know people that can quote Bible verses, but they don't have a conceptual grasp on what God's basic purposes are. They don't understand His righteousness. They don't understand His grace. They don't understand the mission of the Christian in the world. Those basic contexts 
that make life livable as a Christian and enable us to overcome. If you don't know, for example, that God's called you to take up your cross and follow Jesus, then when trials come or persecution arises or the duty of obeying the Lord starts interfering with the different things you want to do, you're going to get frustrated. But if you understand your call, follow me, take up your cross and follow me. And what that means, when those things arise, you've got a context. And you can go to the Father and pray and pray your way through those things because you know what God's will is. And 1 John chapter 5, 14 and 15 says, this is the confidence. Everyone say confidence. This is the confidence that we have towards him. That if we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. And if we know that he hears us in whatever we ask, we know that we have the requests that we ask of him. Now, God's will is not as mysterious as you think it is. The word of God makes perfectly clear what God's will is. And it's, it is a lot more specific than you might think. It's not as generic or general or abstract as sometimes. Um, people who are ignorant of the word or don't bother to learn what the word says, to them, the will of God is an, is, is an abstraction. It is a, it is a big sort of confusing thing. And so their prayers represent that abstract, that confusion. Well, Lord, if it be thy will, we don't know what your will is. We just serve... Pray. But if you listen to David's prayers in the Psalms when he prayed, he had a pretty solid grip on what God was like, what his promises were. When you listen to the prayers in Acts, when they started to be persecuted and they gathered together and they prayed, they were very specific. They exercised authority when they prayed. They understood their position. They knew where God wanted to go. They, there was nothing ambiguous about, Lord, we're, we're just having a great party here. You sent the Holy Ghost. We're really loving this. It's terrific. People are getting saved, and now it's all messed up, and they're starting to chase us around town and arresting us. What's going on? Oh, Lord, uh, well, I don't know what's, what to do. Um, no, when they prayed, they said, Behold their threatenings, Lord. Stretch out your hand with signs and wonders and miracles. And, you know, anoint us with power. They understood what the will of God was because of what the word said. And so because of it, their prayer was not ambiguous. Their prayer was directed. And it was specific. This is the confidence that we have in him. If we ask anything according to his will, we know that he hears us. And if we know he hears us, then we absolutely know we have the petitions that we ask of him. How do we know we have the petitions we ask of him? Because Jesus said, ask and you shall receive that your joy may be full. When Jesus left this world and sent the Holy Spirit to live within us, he sent, up this, sent this fabulous connection system called prayer. And um, before I go to my final and fifth point, this, this communion, if you will, is wonderful because he has given us boundaries called the will of God. And there's a lot that he's put in there that is specific and excellent and wonderful about our position in him as Christ's ambassadors. The power of righteousness and the power of holiness in our life and the impact and effect it has on our environment when we confidently walk in those things. Um, 
our power and authority over Satan, all of these things combine together to give us confidence when we're in fellowship with God in prayer, and it helps us to exercise Jesus' authority when we are praying. Can you say amen? So let me go to our fifth and final point this morning. Prayer fact number five. Prayer is the door to both strength and weakness. When prayer is open and there is healthy, solid prayer, communion, unbroken, strength is flowing in your life. Amen. When that door is closed, weakness is occupying your life. And so in Luke chapter 18, Jesus said to them, the Bible says, Jesus said unto them a parable to show them that they ought always to pray and not to faint. Another translation says not to lose heart. And there are many believers today that are spiritually fainting. They lack spiritual strength. They're spiritually weak. They are losing heart. Um, and so Jesus said to not lose heart, to have strength when you go through life, pray always. Men ought always. What does always mean? Once a, more, once, once a day in the morning? If I pray once a day in the morning, 15 minutes, whatever. Uh, by the way, I have nothing against fit. If you could pray for 15 minutes and really connect, praise God, there's the, uh, a great supply, hallelujah, of the Lord's presence in your life can go a long way. So, Nothing wrong with 15 minutes of praying, but we've said already praying is not just talking to God. It is connection. And so in 1 Thessalonians 5.16, Paul says, pray without ceasing. So obviously praying always, men ought always to pray and not to faint, means pray without ceasing. means that when you're done with your little 15-minute devotional, prayer continues when the talking's finished. Let me say that to you again, because you think prayer's finished when you say amen. Amen says, I'm done praying. We're hanging up. We're turning off the phone. No more texting with Jesus. So I understand that prayer is ceaseless. Prayer continues. Why is that? How can prayer continue when you're not talking because prayer is more than talking. It is the communion of natures. When I'm done talking to God, my emotions are still connected. My thoughts are still open. My heart, my attitude is still there. That's why if I go driving off onto US-19 and something happens, we won't mention what it might be, but something happens, and... I respond to that something in a manner that is out of character for the Lord. I feel a little pulling back in my heart, a little like that. Why is that? Because prayer's not over with. Prayer's still going on. See, God's still there. And we're still connected. The talking may have stopped, and the conversation continues throughout the day. Lord, I'm sorry. I shouldn't have said that. Lord says, yeah, you're right. And, uh, but look, let me help you. Father, forgive me. You're forgiven. 
And, you know, the light turns green and I go and, you know, the Lord and I are in communication, communion about it. If you don't do that, this is what happens. You go from talking to talking. You know, I talked to God yesterday. Now it's been three days. I haven't talked to God in three days. People that don't have a prayer life have these intermittent conversations, and they think that's prayer. So they think, if I'm going to get closer to God, I have to expand those. I have to pray from 15 minutes to an hour. Expanding your prayer time from 15 minutes to an hour is not necessarily going to expand your relationship with the Lord. If you really want to have the prayer life that Jesus said you'll have fullness of joy, asking and receiving, you have to learn that prayer should stay open. Your whole being stays open, and it is the door to either strength or it is the door that shuts down to keep you weak. And so, because prayer is the communion of natures, your nature is in a state of prayer communion with the Father. That's why it's important to be honest within yourself. God is in communion with you when you're honest with yourself and with Him. When your thoughts are open to the Lord, you let Him check you and encourage you and guide you. And, by the way, let me just add, when the devil, the accuser of the brethren, that we'll get into this in another week, but when the enemy comes and begins to condemn you and speak to you and say, you know, you are, what kind of Christian are you? thinking that thought, doing that, doing that deed, or whatever it is that you did, when your communion is open with the Father, there's no room for the devil to be able to come in and accuse you. If something needs to get dealt with, you and your Father will work that out. God knows how to chasten and correct us. But he never turns us over to the enemy. It's when that love communion with the Lord breaks down that the devil starts taking over. And I know plenty of people whose prayer life is run by Satan. Now, some of you are just going, oh, God, that can't possibly be. That's blasphemous. Well, you're probably not one of those people. But let me assure you, there are plenty of people that the devil runs their prayer life. He runs their prayer life because they don't have that connection with the Lord as Father. He's loving them, but they're not receiving that love. He's wanting to assure them, but they keep believing the lies of the devil more than they believe the truth of God's word about his love for them. 1 John 5 said, we have known and believed the love that God has for us. He that abides in love, but they don't abide in love. They abide in the accusations and condemnation of the devil. And so because of it, their prayer life is in tatters and ruined. Or it's on again, off again, like the texting thing. So you understand what I'm saying? That prayer is more than the, the talking. It is the communing 24-7. Hallelujah. So pray without ceasing. When your hard attitude, thoughts, and actions remain open and connected with the Father, that's praying without ceasing. And that's why God's strength can work through you after the saying prayers has ended. Do you ever notice that Jesus didn't always pray when miracles happened? Sometimes he just said it. 
Did you notice that? Remember at the grave of Lazarus, when all he did was, he, you don't see him praying, Oh, Father, send the spirit of life, raise Lazarus. He just said, Father, I thank you that you always hear me. Lazarus, get out here. And I don't mean to be flippant about it, but it was about that casual. Why is that? Because Jesus didn't have to drop on his knees for 10 or 15 minutes and have a text session with the Father. He stayed in unbroken communion. He said, I always do those things that are pleasing. The Father is guiding me. I'm listening for him. We're working this thing out. It is shared natures. I and my Father are one. That is the kind of communion that the Father wants to have with you and I. He sent the Spirit of his Son into our hearts crying, Daddy, Abba, Father. That same Spirit that was in Jesus Christ is in us crying, Abba, Father. You and I can have that like prayer life as Jesus had and walk in that communion with the Lord, that connection. And so, um, potentially speaking, you could be standing outside the grave of Lazarus, Lazarus and say, well, Lord, you always hear me. Lazarus, come forth. I mean, when you're in communication with the Lord, unbridled fellowship, the Holy Spirit will drop stuff into your heart. Do this, say that. And sometimes you won't. Well, let me just set it up with a person so that everybody knows what's going on here. Jesus would just say, the, the lepers would come and say, oh, that I might be clean. Okay. That would be his response. Okay. And they're healed. So, but if you let up on prayer, if you break that communion, when you let up on prayer, the fainting begins. Men are always to pray, not to faint. Show me a believer, and I have proven this with my own life, I don't need to look at anybody else, that in my own life, when I am not staying in consistent prayer communion with the Lord, Nikki's fainting, losing heart. There's a faintingness about my life. Do you understand what I'm saying? There's a, there's a weakness, there's a breaking down. Jesus didn't, Jesus didn't say, Listen, I'm leaving, sending the Holy Ghost, but you're going to break down a lot. He said you'll have tribulation, persecution, but he didn't say anything about breaking down. He didn't say, any, he talked a lot about overcoming. He didn't say anything about the devil abusing you and, and running you down. What did he say about Peter? I prayed for you and when you're strengthened, uh, when you're, when you're um, strengthened, uh, help your brother. So the point here is, that prayer keeps us from fainting and it keeps us strong. So this morning, here's our altar call. These five simple points about prayer. Number one, prayer is more than talking, it's connecting. Number two, prayer focuses on God as Father. Number three, prayer is sharing love. Number four, purpose. And knowing God's purpose is the context for prayer. And number five, prayer's the door to strength or to weakness. So, if you have a broken, a crippled, bruised, or confused prayer life, come to this altar today. Come, surrender whatever attitude Maybe they're locking you up, shutting down your communion with the Father. Ask the Holy Spirit when you come 
to help your weakness. Heal the bruises, disappointments that need to be healed so that you and the Father are making that, that connection according to the Word of God and bring you back into fresh communion with the Father. The Holy Spirit's in your life so that your life of prayer can constantly be flowing. When things bruise, break, bring separation, God doesn't want that to continue. He could deal with anything in your life, but that communion needs to be there. When, when we are not able to have that connection and prayer, it's an alarm that's going off. That's never the will of God that you should not be able to have that prayer connection. So, in the coming weeks, we're going to share how to, how to do that in a practical way. But this morning, if there is that bruise, that brokenness, that separation, let's stand together. I want to invite